This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Buck Sexton Show. You are entering the Blaze Threat Ops Center. This is a secure space. All outside comms are down. Prepare to receive the Buck Brief. Tom Rogan of National Review and also the McLaughlin Group joins us now. He's got a couple pieces up on National Review you should definitely check out. Tom, great to have you, sir. What's going on? Good to be with you, Buck. Thanks for having me on. So I want to start with, uh, usually we get into the uh, fight against the jihad and all that. We'll talk about that in a few moments. We've got some time. But first, very interesting, because you know everyone's talking about Brexit and uh, and whether the polling right now in the U.S. will be sort of a similar story to what we have with Brexit, where the polling for any number, you know, for a bunch of reasons, what was off in Brexit. I've heard people say even the what was that the, the betting markets, which are London-based, sort of skewed a certain way, and because of London's very much a Remain place. Ever anyway, uh, a very interesting uh, court decision came down with regard to Brexit and the will of the British people. You've got a piece on NationalReview.com dealing with it. British judges defy British people. Tom, what is going on? Yeah, so basically what happened is that there was a case brought, uh, well, it wasn't brought last week, but it was decided on last week in, in the High Court in London, uh, which is essentially a federal, uh, a federal level court. Uh, and the decision was that the, uh, even though the referendum that was held earlier this year in June uh, led to a situation in which the, the majority of voters said they wanted to leave the European Union, the court said uh, that the British government cannot affect that leaving, uh, that exit, unless Parliament uh, approves it. So it basically undercut the idea that a referendum puts popular power in the hands of the people. And the judges said, no, uh, the, the court has to, I'm sorry, the uh, Parliament has to, to vote on that. And that's an issue uh, because there are a lot of members of Parliament uh, who, who don't want to leave the European Union uh, and pro- potentially would vote down leaving uh, if they didn't get what they think is what's called a soft Brexit, which is to say a Brexit in which uh, free movement of people between the European Union and the UK uh, is retained. And this this has been met with with what in terms of response from the British people and in the in the British press? It seems like uh, this would be a pretty big slap in the face to the what is it seventeen million people that voted in favor of Brexit. Now the courts just saying, well, that was kind of just all for fun and games. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is that's the issue is that uh, that the court is essentially undercutting the democratically vested will of the people. I and mean, if you hold a referendum, 
That's the point I'm making. The whole, the whole purpose of it is to devolve a decision away from Parliament or the legislature and the executive uh, to the people. That happened. Uh, it's been done. No one, you know, the, the court said, well, because it didn't say in the referendum act authorizing the referendum that it was explicit uh, that, the, that the referendum would be binding, it has to be construed as advisory. Uh, but of course, that that's you know position it, it requires the suspension of you know, the most basic democratic norm that is in a democracy, if you have a referendum, that is the outcome. Uh, so it, it creates a constitutional crisis uh, in the sense of whether power is vested uh, at, at the popular level through referendums or whether it, it is retained in terms of uh, parliamentary sovereignty. So it, it's going to be a big problem. I suspect what will happen uh, is that the, the, the British government uh, will... Um, you know, they're, they're trying to get overturned in the Supreme Court uh, in December uh, next month. So, if that, if that, if it is overturned, the decision, then then you know Brexit will be able to, to go along the way. If not, there's going to be big uh, parliamentary battles and negotiating uh, difficulties uh, next year. Do you have a, a theory or do you have some analysis on why the polling on Brexit? I mean, a lot of people that you see going on TV and such will, will point to the Brexit polling in the UK being off as, see, may, you know, developed English-speaking countries can make huge mistakes when it comes to... Hello? We got in the wind tunnel for a second there. Uh, it can make huge mistakes when it comes to the... Because I think uh, Brexit was... Or Remain was up, what, like four or five points the day before or something like that. It was up a considerable margin, they thought, based on the on the polling. And that was clearly wrong. Um, what what do you think was the reasoning behind that, or how, how did that happen? I'm just well, curious. I, I actually think people have got this a little bit wrong. You know, I have a piece coming out tomorrow where I sort of talk about this. I actually the Brexit polling in the last two weeks was actually accurate. It did show a sizable shift, but the pollsters didn't believe it because it was a big shift. Uh, there were a lot of undecideds who eventually came down, and also as older voters turned out more, uh, and they were tended to be against. Um, or in favour of Brexit. The better example is the 2015 UK election for electing government. Uh, and in that case, you saw the polls about three to four percentage points at least off what actually happened. And I think that's the better example because the reason for that was uh, what's called the shy, the pollsters have since described it, the shy Tory syndrome, Tory being a, a shorthand for Conservative voters. Uh, and a lot of Conservative voters didn't want to tell the phone pollsters that they were voting Conservative. Uh, the reason for that is that they were embarrassed to do so because there'd been a, uh, the, you know, the Labour Party, the Democratic equivalent, a waste of campaign saying that Conservative politics were inherently immoral. So I think there is a potential here, a significant potential indeed, uh, that you will see, especially in states like Ohio, Pennsylvania, and um, perhaps even Michigan, where, where the blue-collar constituency that Trump is uh, popular with, uh, that, that that support base may be under uh, under regarded and that, for example, more women might vote for Trump. So it, it's it's certainly, you know, people don't sometimes if they're embarrassed, they don't want to express their honest opinion. So you get into the polling booth and then you're liberated to do that. We shall see. But it certainly is an interesting uh, an interesting thing to consider because it's exactly what happened in the 2015 election. And it gave the Conservative Party uh, a majority government, which no one expected. Uh, instead of a minority government, uh, which probably half, only half the pollsters expected. They thought the Labour Party might win. So it, it's, it is an issue that deserves and demands our attention. So it is possible for these, uh, for these in these kinds of major political moments, uh, the, number, the number crunchers to get it wrong, and in some cases maybe to get it wrong just because they refuse to believe 
you know, what do you, who are you believe? Me or your lying eyes, right? So uh, maybe worth keeping in mind. And, and I know I'm going I'm to talk in a little bit about uh, one of your colleagues at National Review, or rather, I should say, somebody who's contributed to National Review, not a colleague per se, uh, talking about the polls. But let's move on, if we can, for a moment here to uh, two issues, one uh, current and one future. Uh, the effort to take back Mosul. We just want to update everybody on everything. Uh, what are we hearing in the last few days? Still proceeding with difficulty? What's what's going on in taking back Mosul from the Islamic State, Tom? Well, you know, as we, you and I discussed, Buck, and, and you know, you made the point that this is a, a very dense, difficult city that the uh, Islamic State uh, was going to, you know, <laughs> essentially turn into to a death trap. But that is happening. It, it's, it's the progress is slow. It will continue to be slow. Uh, and the, the, the question becomes, once we get into the real urban door-to-door fighting, how many casualties uh, does the Iraqi army take uh, in, in coordination with its allies? And how, for how long can they sustain that kind of operational tempo uh, with the pressure it will put in terms of their you know, supporting assets, uh, intelligence, logistics, etc.? Uh, and what political repercussions come if the Iraqi army uh, is getting very bloodied? You know, that, that will affect the consolidation of Prime Minister Abadi in Baghdad. The Iranians will use it to try and weaken him. So it, it's, a tough, uh, it's a tough situation at the moment. Um, and we just, you know, again, we just have to, you know, wait and see. But, but the encirclement is sort of essentially complete now. But, but you know, that, that's the easy bit. The hard bit is going door to door. Now let's talk a bit about Raqqa. You've got a piece here on com. Taking Raqqa will be no easy task. Uh, you point out, as we just discussed, efforts to retake M- Mosul are underway, uh, but it is, in fact, not problem. The Syrian Democratic Forces Alliance has begun operations to seize Raqqa over on the Syrian side of things. What's going on there, and what do you see as uh, as the future of the effort to retake Raqqa? Yeah, so the situation there is that you know this was announced um, yesterday uh, that the um, that an alliance of Kurdish forces and the Syrian under the Syrian Democratic Front, which is essentially a Kurdish group called the YPG, uh, and elements of the former Free Syrian Army, a pro-American essential outfit, uh, is going to try and seize Raqqa. Uh, and you know it's a good thing, I think. Some people did. Kyle Orton, who's a great uh, sort of uh, you know, thinker on this, uh, takes a different perspective, but is worth reading. People can you know find him on Twitter. But um, I, from my opinion, it's a good thing that it puts pressure, obviously. Uh, on ISIL senior leadership, uh, it allow it constrains them uh, in terms of freedom of movement. If once the, the city is taken, um, it pressures them a, a, away from being able to you know, use Raqqa as a planning center, a command center for attack planning against the West in terms of like Paris-style plots. Um, and of course, it, it, it will ultimately, if the city is retaken, degrade that notion. Uh, that ISIS has so successfully applied that they are you know, an ordained force that they've been able to survive all this power. Uh, if you take down their capital, you take down their flags, suddenly they look a lot less uh, impressive to those uh, you know, essential you know, losers or whatever that, that decide that they uh, are impressive. So that, that's another thing. And then the final point I was mentioning, which is important, is that I think it, uh, it will put pressure on the Russians and Assad because it will, if, if Aleppo... Um, if Raqqa is taken, uh, there will be essential, Aleppo will be the only government-held area uh, dividing uh, the rebels in the north uh, and the east from the other rebels in what's called Idlib province in western Syria. 
so you essentially have a contiguous line of control there uh, that would really degrade the Russians uh, and Assad's ability to, to you know, put pressure on the rebels, divide and conquer strategy that they're applying successfully at the moment. So you think that the – how would you grade uh, the sort of progress of anti-ISIS efforts in Iraq and Syria collectively right now? I mean, it sounds like things are going slowly but certainly in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, look, I think they're going in the right direction. They're going slowly. But but this is, this is again, we, we have seen this, this idea of premature victory being declared. I, I think there's going to be some very bloody battles ahead. Uh, you saw Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, talking about the need to stand ground and fight. I'm sure Mosul, you know, that there's going to be a lot of, uh, it's going to be a very bloody affair for the Iraqi army. Iraq are the same thing. They do not want to see these two cities uh, for the reasons we mentioned. Uh, and they will fight very hard to retain them, and it, and it will cause casualties. And, and you know, unfortunately, it's probably going to cause um, some American casualties as well in terms of embedded special operations forces who are uh, directing airstrikes. Um, so it, it's going to be tough fighting. And, and then the final point, of course, is that, you know, the organization has its um, pledged groups around the world. It has its base of operations still in Libya, which is being degraded. But but, but this is, this is a, an organization that is going to be around for a long while. They still have their European terror cells, which remains a, a much bigger issue than people think. Uh, and so it, it's, you know, it's going to be a challenge for the long term. Tom Rogan is a writer for National Review and also a uh, contributor at the McLaughlin Group, a panelist at the McLaughlin Group. You can read his latest pieces on nationalreview.com and certainly follow him on Twitter. Mr. Rogan. Always a pleasure, sir. Thank you for making time today before the election. Thank you very much. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.